Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Good morning. We are going to be back in Psalms this morning uh, in our Praying Through the Psalms series. And uh, if this is the first time uh, you've joined us for this series, uh, it's been a powerful time. I would encourage you to go back and listen to our podcast uh, to kind of catch up on where we're at in the Psalms. Uh, We've been able to pray and kind of turn the Psalms back to the Lord and pray them back to Him, which has been just an amazing time of worship together as a church family. So far, we have walked through Psalm 85, Psalm 17, then last week, Psalm 63. Um, So let me kind of paint a picture of where we've been headed through the Psalms. So first of all, Psalm 85 and Psalm 17 are both Psalms of lament, although Psalm 85 uh, is more of a a communal lament, and Psalm 17 is more of an individual lament. And then with Psalm 63 last week, it's a Psalm of trust. And this week, we're going to be in Psalm 146, uh, which is a psalm of praise. And so praise is going to be the kind of theme, the undercurrent for everything that we do this morning, uh, extolling praise and giving grace to the Lord who has poured out his grace and his love on us. Again, if you weren't here last week, we are going to be praying in the exact same way that we did last week. We're going to be praying in in small groups. So uh, you're going to look around and you're going to find two or three other people that you can kind of uh, begin to pray with during our prayer times. Um, If you're not interested in doing that, you don't want to do that, that's fine. Glance down at your phone uh, and they will know that you are not going, going to be in their group. For those that aren't praying out loud during those times, what I want you to be doing is agreeing in prayer. Yes, Lord. Amen. That's good. Uh-huh. Right? That's how we're going to uh, do this prayer time. And this is, a, again, a ministry to our church as we get to hear our brothers and sisters in Christ pray. And I will conclude our time in prayer by simply saying, Lord, then you'll dial it down. I'll pray, and we'll jump into our next section of Scripture. Sound good? Okay, before we get going, I do want to open us, open us up in prayer. Uh, so would you pray with me? Father, thank you uh, for today. Your word says in Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I, I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Father, I pray that as we open Psalm 146, that you would tell us great and hidden things. I pray that you would answer us as we call to you. I pray that we would hear your voice and that the voice of this world would begin to fade away, that the voice that we have playing inside of our head that that is not from you, but that would begin to subside and that we would be able to hear the voice of God, that we would walk out of here more passionately in love with you, more bold in our pursuit of Christ. And God, I pray that our response to hearing your word would be one of worship. Because God, you are worth every ounce of the praise and affection that we can pour out and then some. So, Father, be with us. We commit this time to you. We love you. We praise you. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Okay, again, so we are in Psalm 146. Uh, just forgive me on the front end. I'm going to geek out on you guys. I really geeked out over this, this uh, psalm this week. <clears throat> psalm 146 is the first of the, the five closing psalms of the book of Psalms, right? Uh, and, and they all begin and end with the exact same phrase. And it's praise the Lord. You're going to recognize the Hebrew word here. It's hallelujah. Every one of these psalms begins and ends with the word hallelujah. Now, hallelujah is made up of two root words, right? The first one is hallel, which means praise or adoration or or, uh, admiration. Uh, And the second one is is Yah, which is a portion of the covenant name of God, which is Yahweh. So, right, we put those two things together and it's praise the Lord. And so all of these psalms begin and end with hallelujah, and it has kind of given them this this name called the Hallelujah Psalms, appropriately. And and again, they are all categorized in this psalm of praise category. So we're going to be kind of extolling the name of God. We don't really know who the author is. A lot of times in the Psalms you'll see, you know, a Psalm of David or a Psalm of Asaph or the, the sons of Korah or whatever. It doesn't say that here. So we don't really know who the author is. Some have uh, suspected that it might be King David. Others have said, suggested that it might be uh, Haggai and Zechariah who wrote the psalm. And if they did, if that's the case, then this psalm would have been written for the dedication of the temple when it was rebuilt after the decree of Cyrus. Um, I tend to kind of lean towards that camp, but understand that that's not settled. That's not, that's just, wherever you land, that's okay. I kind of like that. I'll unpack that a little bit uh, here in a little bit. And as we look at the progression of these last five Psalms, it's very, very interesting to see how they build on one another. Psalm 146 is about praising God for who he is. Psalm 147 is about praising God for what he's done. Psalm 148 is about calling everything that God has created, right? The, the animals, the, the mountains, the earth, the sea, calling all of these things to praise God's name. Psalm 149 is about calling God's own children to praise his name. And then Psalm 50 culminates with this beautiful imagery of all of the heavens and earth joining together in the praise of God. So so these last five psalms in the book of Psalms are super powerful, uh, and and they describe just an amazing heart of worship uh, for God. Now, we need to understand that these are not just descriptive psalms for us, describing what happened in the past. These are also prescriptive, meaning that we can then take what these psalms say and turn that to praise for God, right? We, we can't do that with all of Scripture. We can't take all of Scripture and say, oh, that's prescriptive for me. But here we can, because this is, what is this calling us to do? It's calling us to praise God's name. So this is very prescriptive for us. Here's the geeky part, and I, I apologize. This psalm, and much of psalms, much of the Bible actually, is written in chiastic form, okay? Chiastic form. It's, it's a, a chiasm is named after the Greek letter chi, uh, which looks like our letter X, okay? Like an X, in a chiastic structure, the, the, the lines are converging on a central point. And that's the point that the author is really driving at. It's, uh, it's the thought that the author wants to hammer home for us, 
right? This is the, uh, the central focal point that, that he's trying, he or she's trying to draw us towards. And, and along the way, uh, the lines in the text are going to correspond. Not necessarily verses, but lines, right? So the, the first line, last line, so on and so forth, till you get up to this point uh, where it's the main point. Now, now here's the deal. Chiasms, the way that they are used, kind of this ancient Near Eastern uh, method of storytelling and communicating a message, goes beginning, middle, beginning. That, that's how their thought process would flow, which we struggle with, admittedly, because we're very linear in our thinking. We go beginning, middle, end. We would not go to a movie that started with the beginning, got to the middle, and ended up back to the beginning. We would not like that movie. But that's how a lot of the scriptures are handled. We see this in Psalm 146. Again, you look at verse 1a, the very first part of of verse 1, praise the Lord. You look at 10, the last part of verse 10, what do we have? Praise the Lord. This tells you that this is kind of going somewhere. And in reality, the entire Bible is written in this chiastic form. If you think about it, uh, and they also label these by A, B, C, and then B prime, a prime, right? So the A prime and A correspond with one another. So if you think about the, the Bible and as, it's, as a whole, you've got Genesis, and Genesis is this creation story, right, where God makes the heavens and the earth. But then you look at Revelation, and Revelation is not an end. Revelation is a new beginning, because what do we see in Revelation? We see a new heaven, we see a new earth, right? These correspond with one another. Okay, let's work our way through. Right after Genesis, what do you see? You see people who are trying to pursue God by getting themselves to God. They adhere to the law. They follow the judges. They follow their kings and the prophets. But then you look at the New Testament. What did Jesus do? Jesus brought God to us. And then very interestingly, the very middle chapter of the Bible, and I don't want to get all weird about the you know, numbers and stuff like that in Scripture, but... The very middle chapter in the Bible is Psalm 117. And do you know what Psalm 117 says? It's the shortest psalm in the Bible. And it says this, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. The entire point of the Bible is to awaken the praise of God in the hearts of men. Amen. That's what all the scriptures are driving towards. And so again, I'm, I get all geeked up on this. If, uh, I wish I had more time to talk about chiasms because this just uh, that's where I get, get fired up. It's honestly transformed the way I will read a good portion of scripture because you start to see this thing come together. And you're like, oh, there's the main point right there. <laughs> And you can kind of begin to pray more effectively uh, and respond to God's word more effectively. So go Google chiasms, and, and uh, if you're like me, you're going to be in a black hole of, of Hebrew structure uh, before too long. So again, we are in Psalm 146. So if you have not already turned there, go ahead and turn to 146. We're going to be in verses 1 to 4 uh, for our first prayer point. And our first point is trust in the Lord. And let me read verses 1 to 4. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. 
When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So again, the psalm begins with this word, hallelujah. And it's not just a declaration. You know, I think a lot of times when we hear hallelujah, it's like, oh, they're just declaring the praise of God. See, this is much more than a declaration here. This is an imperative. The psalmist is is telling us, maybe even commanding us to praise the Lord, to sing praises to God. When we say hallelujah, we are both declaring God's praise and then we're also calling those with us to join us in this praise of God. And, And he exemplifies this as well. Having commanded his readers to Praise the Lord. What does he say? Look at verse 2. I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord for as long as I live. I will sing praises to the Lord as long as I have my being. So what he's saying is is that his entire life, everything about him on this earth is going to be geared towards praising the Lord, and then it goes beyond that. While I have my being. What this means to say is that he's going to be praising the Lord long after he has has departed from this earth. That he will get to spend eternity praising God. And he's calling all of his readers to do the same. He's going to unpack this uh, a little later in the psalm in verses 6 to 10 as to why we should praise the Lord. But he starts with this, this, this call, setting the stage for us that, hey, we need to praise God. Um, and so we get to that, those reasons, but first he goes somewhere else. And it's an interesting place that he goes. He goes towards misplaced trust. Right? So he has to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord on my soul. Praise, I will praise the Lord for as long as I live. I'll praise the Lord while I have my being. And then in verse 3, uh, what we find is a strong warning about where we should not surrender our attention, where we should not surrender our heart, where we should not surrender our trust. And where is it? It's in people. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And on that very day, his plans perish. Don't get thrown off by the princes part here, okay? I think we can get wrapped up and say, oh, well, it says don't trust in princes. We don't have a prince. We're not in England. I mean, we're, we're good. I don't have to trust. I don't have to worry about this. That's not what it's striving at here. Yes, it can mean somebody in a place of power, but really what it's talking about is somebody that's influential in your life. Somebody that, has, that you hold in high regard, whose opinion is going to influence what you do, how you think, um, how, how, what you say. That their presence or their absence would dramatically affect, or affect your trajectory in life. That, that's the person that this is talking about. Put not your trust in that person. What does it say about these people? It says it very, very clearly. It says there is no salvation in them. It doesn't say that there's just, hey, there's a little bit of salvation in them. You can get just a little bit. No, it says there is no salvation in the Son of Man. Now, let's look at the context here to, to try and get some understanding for our purposes. If, and this is the reason I kind of lean towards Haggai and Zechariah writing this psalm. If they, had, if they wrote this song, psalm, then this would have been on the heels of the Persian king Cyrus uh, decreeing that the temple could be rebuilt, which was a monumental feat. God of heaven and earth had to move in that guy's heart to say, yes, you can rebuild the temple. 
And when you have somebody of power and prestige and authority uh, and, and strength that gets behind your cause and even funds a lot of your cause, then what's going to happen is you're going to tend to want to elevate that person to this place of trust and maybe even a godlike status. That we would revere them, that we would then change our actions because of what they say or what they do. So this would have been at about 535 BC. Uh, It would have been, again, a huge boost to their confidence as they're trying to rebuild this temple. And they say, don't trust in man. Why? Okay, here's what happened. Again, the human tendency is going to be to want to align ourselves with this person, give ourselves, uh, give allegiance to this person. The problem is, is that humans are terrible saviors. Spoiler alert, Cyrus died. Shocker, right? So Cyrus dies, and then after Cyrus dies, this king named Artaxerxes comes along. And Artaxerxes, he doesn't care about what Cyrus said. And he shuts everything down. And Cyrus can't do anything about it because he's dead. (laughs) Don't put your trust in princes. Don't put your trust in the Son of Man because he will not be here forever. And when he dies, his plans go to the grave with him. There's a really funny wordplay here in the Hebrew. Um, it says, don't put your trust in the Son of Man. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. So let's look at, at the word man in, in Hebrew. You'll recognize it. It's the word Adam or Adam. Don't put your trust in the Son of Man. Don't put your trust in Adam. Because when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. Adama. Remember, Adam was formed from the dust of the earth. See, what this is saying here, basically, is that when we place our trust in man, we're basically placing our trust in dirt. It's clarification here. I am not saying that we should not build meaningful relationships with people, that we should not look for wisdom from people, because absolutely we should. In fact, the Lord set it up that way. That's what discipleship is all about that we're walking this life with other people. The distinction is, are we putting our trust in that person? Because that is where we take what God created and we twist it up and we, we make it something it's not supposed to be. I'm saying that we shouldn't look to man instead of the Lord. We look to the Lord and when he brings people around us that kind of reinforce that and push us towards him, as, as Hebrews said, spur us on to love and good deeds, then we praise God for that person but we don't put our trust in them. The problem is, is that we do this all the time. I don't want to admit it, but I do this all the time. We trust in ourselves to accomplish things on our own. So what do we do? When things get hard, when things get challenging, we have this thought, well, what can I do? How can I fix this? We trust in others for approval. So we put on a face so that they see us the way that we want them to see us. We put our trust in our children, and we want them to represent us a certain way, so we try as hard as we can to make them be good because we don't want people to look at us and go, oh, they're bad parents. We put our trust in our spouse, so we begin to idolize them and expect from them what only God can give us. And then we trust in the government to keep us safe, so we lose our minds hanging on every word of some government doctor, and then we say, oh, it's the president who got us through these dark times without a second thought that maybe it might have been the Lord. And I get it. People are easy to trust in because they're here. They're tangible, right? We can 
hug them. We can hold them. They're, they're right there. And so it's hard. It's hard to not trust in them. And, and then on top of that, sometimes they give us really good reasons to trust in them. Cammie, my wife, has given me really good reasons to trust in her. But as amazing as she is, she's a terrible savior. And she would agree with that. I'm not saying something that I'm going to be in trouble when I get home. <laughs> and I'm a terrible savior, just for the record. Let's go ahead and clarify that. Get that. You're a terrible savior. We're all terrible saviors. Can we agree on that? Listen, I've got news for you. Every person on the face of this earth is going back to the dirt. They're going back to the dirt. And when their time comes to die, their memory may remain. But their plans, their thoughts about the future, their opinions, they're, they're going to the dirt as well. So let's trust in the Lord, not in people, no matter how amazing they are around us. So this first prayer time is going to focus on two things. One, hallelujah. That's our first, first prayer point. Hallelujah. The second prayer point is this. Realign your trust. Where do you have misplaced trust? And realign that onto the Lord. Okay? So let's take this time again. I will close us by saying, Lord, pray, and then we'll go into our next section of Scripture. So at this point, turn to two, three people beside you and start praying. Lord, first we praise your name. We extol your praises. We lift you high. We worship you because you're worthy, because of who you are. And God, we ask that you would draw us to yourself. God, where we have our trust misplaced, I pray that you would realign that, help us to see the futility of trusting in man. Show us that we're trusting in dirt and help us to trust in a God who will never die, a God who will never cease to reign. We ask that you would do that for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so we don't look for our help from those around us. We don't look for our trust for those who are around us. We place all of that in Christ and in Christ alone. And for the Christ follower, our blessings come from one place. Uh, this is the second point. Blessings, blessing is found in Christ. This is verse 5. Blessing is found in Christ. This also happens to be the focal point of the psalm. Okay, verse 5, blessed is he who, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Again, look at how this verse begins. It says, blessed is he. What this is known as, it's called a beatitude. Uh, it's, it's the last one of the Psalms. And, and a lot of times when we say the word beatitude, people will think of Matthew 5, right? The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, that these are the beatitudes where uh, Jesus said blessed is. And then there were a series of statements after that. Uh, but the word beatitude simply means a state of utmost bliss. And so here what we see is in, in Scripture, when beatitudes are spoken, it's basically just telling us where blessedness can be found. So here in 146, what we see, blessedness comes to those whose help and hope is in the Lord. So let's unpack this a little bit. The first question, I think, is what is blessedness? 
Because if we don't answer that, then we don't really know what we're aiming at. I think that most people would tie blessing to something uh, in this world, something that we can lay hold of, uh, a person, a job, uh, wealth, things, whatever it is. And because of this, whenever we get a new job or when we get a raise or when we get married or when we have kids or when we buy a new house or buy a new car, we will tend to say things like, I'm just so blessed. And I don't think we're wrong in that. Let me just throw that out there. I don't think we're wrong because we can derive a measure of, of blessedness, a measure of joy from these things that God brings into our life. And, and the question is, is that what the psalmist is talking about? Would the psalm, if this is Haggai, if we came to him and said, yeah, I bought a new house last week, hashtag blessed, would he go, oh, that's not what I'm talking about. Let's unpack this. The word here for blessed is used 44 times in 41 different verses in the Old Testament. And it's a noun that appears only in the construct plural form, which means the blessings of, okay? So, for instance, here in 146, it'd be the blessings of help and hope in God. And as far as I could tell, every instance of this noun was tied to a direct experience of God himself, not the stuff so, for example, the discipline of God. People find blessedness in the discipline of God, the fear of God, the forgiveness of God, walking in God's ways. All of these things were tied to this idea of blessing. I could not find a single instance of this word being used that would express some sort of material enrichment in the person's life. Perhaps the closest that I could find was there was one instance where it said that blessed is the man who allows his ox and his donkey to free range. <laughs> now, it doesn't say specifically what those blessings are, but I would imagine that if your ox and your donkey are free ranging, you're not having to shovel as much, you know. That's kind of a blessing. When the psalmist or any Old Testament author uses this word, it usually refers to the covenantal love of God. That's what it's tied to. And this is reinforced by the words that he used about the, the blessedness that we find. What, what does he say? He says, um, blessed, blessed is, is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord God. The words that he uses to help reinforce this, there's, there's two of them. One is help and hope. And, and the word help, uh, college girls, you'll recognize this word. It's the word ezer. We have a, a recurring event for our college girls called Ezer. Um, verse 5 says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. Notice it doesn't say whose, whose help is from the God of Jacob. See, used here, Ezer is a noun, and it means one who assists or serves another with what is needed. So I want you to get this image in your head of God as a helper assisting and serving with what is needed. So here's the question. Are you living as though the Lord is your Ezer, as though the Lord is your help? Or are you kind of doing it on your own? And then you look at the word for hope. The word for hope is this word sever. And this is looking forward with expectation for what's to come, for something that is good, this, this uh, confident expectation of what's going to happen. It bears noting that this word is only used twice in the Old Testament. Once here, and once in Psalm 119. And they are both referring to hope in the Lord. It's never used of, of hope in man or hope in stuff. 
the Lord is the only one who can measure up to our hopes. He's not only this, but he far exceeds every hope or desire we could possibly have. So your hopes that you have, the, the fragile little hopes that we think are so huge, the Lord's looking at that and going, that's nothing. You have no idea how powerful I am. See, blessing is not tied to or based on material provision in our lives, but rather to the Lord himself. And here's the thing that I want you to walk out of here with. The Lord is the prize. He's the prize. Not what he can give us. It's him. He is the source of blessing. See, it's not so much the help and the hope. Those are great. It's him. And unless we understand this, we're going to spend the rest of our lives chasing the things that he pours into our life and expect them to give us what only he can. And we're going to miss the point if we get caught up on what God does for us rather than God who, is, who God is to us. We're going to miss the point if we get caught up on what God does for us and miss who God is to us. This should awaken our love for him when we see that he provides the help and the hope that we need. That should awaken a love for us, uh, in our, for him in our hearts. And so our blessing is the Lord who is our help and our hope. And the second thing we see here, which is very interesting, uh, the God of Jacob. This is a phrase that you'll see several times throughout the Old Testament. Uh, you see it a lot uh, in the Psalms. And, and there's significance in this, in this verse, in this uh, uh, phrase, rather. Jacob's name literally means supplanter or cheater. So when we look at this term, God of the cheater, what, what does this say to us? I mean, it's interesting. If you look at uh, Genesis chapter 32, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. So that means to strive or to contend. And, and we do see the Lord referred to throughout Scripture as the God of Israel or the Holy One of Israel, yet there are still places where we see this name pop back up. Why is this significant? It's significant because it illustrates the fact that the Lord is not afraid by being identified by the worst of who we are. God is not afraid of being identified as the God of the worst version of yourself. You need to understand that. In many ways, Jacob was a wreck, but God doesn't mind being identified by his name, uh, the God of Jacob, because he loves that man. And he loves you. How does this apply to you? Listen, you do not need to get yourself cleaned up for the Lord to be your hope and your help. And you don't need to get yourself cleaned up for him to be your God, God of all of the brokenness. Uh, and, and in fact, quite the contrary, you have to admit your brokenness. You have to come to him with your brokenness um, so that you can face it down and understand that he's not going to back away in the midst of that. Without coming face to face with your own sinfulness, you're going to be fooled into thinking that you do not need help and you do not need hope in God. And this should bring a, a huge measure of peace to somebody who's sitting in the room, who's sitting there thinking, the Lord is disgusted with me because of all this stuff I've given myself to. He would never want to be referred to as the God of Matt because I've screwed it up so badly. And what you need to understand, he was referred to as the God of Jacob, the cheater, the supplanter, the guy who screwed it up seven ways from Sunday. He's not afraid to be the God of you and your mistakes. 
he looks at us with compassion and he looks at us with grace and gives us help and hope even when we are the cheater, even when we are the liar, even when we're the adulterer or the addict or the angry person or, or fill in the blank. Don't think that this means that he's okay with your sin. <laughs> when he wrestled with Jacob, he gave him a limp that went with him for the rest of his life. When you face down your sin with the Lord, you may walk away with a limp, but you're going to walk away being identified as his child. So for our second prayer time, I want us to keep that in mind. There's two prayer points I want us to focus on. One, first, how have you been blessed by the Lord? How have you been blessed in the Lord? Recall this of how he's been your help and your hope. And then I want you to spend time thanking the Lord for for pursuing you in your worst moments and not just in your best. So turn to your neighbors now and do that. Lord, you have blessed us deeply, and you have been our help and our hope as we walk through the storm. And God, we have, man, been broken by the things of this world so many times. And and God, there's some brokenness in us, but you still pursue us. So thank you for that. That's you're not waiting for me to get my best moment before you appear. You come to, the, to me in the worst moment with grace, compassion, and love. I pray that would inform how we pursue you and how we pursue others. Father, we love you, praise you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our first prayer point was centered around trust in the Lord. The second was blessing is found in Christ. And our final prayer point is going to be centered around this, reasons to praise, verses 6 to 10. This is a lengthy section here, but let's dive in. Uh, Verse 6, God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. See, this psalm closes with five reasons uh, which form the basis of why we sing hallelujah by telling us who God is, supporting our main point that blessedness is found in the help and hope of God. So the first reason, one, his unbridled power. Look at verse 6a. He created the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. Translation, there is nothing on this earth that does not belong to him. Colossians 1.16 says that by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible or, and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. This means that all of your stuff is not really your stuff. It's his. And when we acknowledge this, it should impact how we live our lives, how we spend our money, how we treat our bodies, how we care for creation, how we interact with others, how we think about, quote, our stuff. We should praise him because he has unbridled power. The second reason is his unceasing faith. Look at verse 6b. Who keeps faith forever. He's faithful, he's reliable, he's trustworthy, he's dependable, he's loyal, he's enduring, he's steadfast, he's long-suffering. And interestingly, the text qualifies this. I think it could have just said he's faithful, <laughs> but it says he's faith, he keeps faith forever. The Dictionary of Biblical Languages by James Swanson 
says that this word for forever means an unlimited duration of time, usually with the focus on the future and with no anticipated end. So you get that. God's faithfulness is never going to end. Never. It doesn't stop. It doesn't falter. It doesn't fail. He was faithful before anything was made, and he will be faithful a billion years after all of this stuff has been burned up. There's no expiration date on his faithfulness. And it doesn't change based on our, our circumstances, good, bad, or otherwise. So we should praise him because he has unceasing faith. The third thing, he has infinite mercy. Look at verse 7 to 8. He brings justice for the oppressed, feeds the hungry, releases prisoners, makes the blind to see, lifts up those who are bowed down, and loves the righteous. You need to know this. God goes after those who are in need to rescue them. Isaiah 61 uses a lot of the same kind of language that we see here in Psalm 146. And, and Jesus, interestingly, quotes Psalm, uh, Isaiah 61 in Luke 4. And this is what he said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. You see, Psalm 146, verses 7 to 8, have been fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus, and they will be fulfilled forever in him. We should praise him because of his infinite mercy. The fourth thing is his uncompromising justice. His uncompromising justice. Look at verse 9. He watches over the sojourners. That's the strangers, the aliens in the land. He upholds or sustains the widow and the orphan. So those who are unable to defend themselves, those who are unable to speak for themselves, he is their defender, their guardian, their sustainer, the one who's taking care of them. It also says that he brings the way of the wicked to ruin. Literally, it means that he's going to make their path crooked, like intentionally trying to make them stumble and fall. That's the work of the Lord in this world and then to come. That if that doesn't happen here, if that justice that we're seeking for the, the evil, the wicked, wicked uh, and evil person, that will be dealt with at the judgment day. We need to understand that. We need to get that. The Lord will make this right. So we should praise him because of his uncompromising justice. And the fifth thing is his indisputable majesty. Verse 10 the Lord will reign forever. Remember that forever that we talked about a minute ago? There is no end time to this. There's no one that can challenge him. There is no one that's greater than him. His reign will not end and his power will not cease. He will be king forever over his people and he will rule them perfectly without sin or abuse of any kind. And we should praise him for his indisputable majesty. So do you see... <laughs> Why the psalmist says hallelujah and then don't put your trust in son of man? It doesn't even compare. There's no salvation in the son of man. They don't come anywhere close to the Lord. And so in our final prayer time, here's what I want us to focus on. Focus on our reasons to praise. Declare them. Declare the reasons that you have to praise. And if you're having a hard time thinking of them, there's five reasons here in the text that you can just pray back to him. How have you been impacted by his power? How have you been impacted by his faithfulness? How have you been impacted by his mercy, his justice, his majesty? And pray that back to the Lord. 
use these verses as that reminder. Will talked about this a, a little bit in our worship time, that Ebenezer, what is that thing that's going to remind you of God's faithfulness and his goodness? It's going to elicit praise from your soul. That's what I'm talking about. And then we're going to close our time with hallelujah. Okay? So turn to your neighbors now, and let's uh, go into this last prayer time. And when it's time, I will close this down, and we'll dive into worship. Lord, if we were to recount all of the reasons we have to praise you, we would never leave this room. Your goodness is indescribable. And Lord, we ask that you would just remind us of those things throughout our day, throughout our week, that we would be people of praise, that would trust in you and you alone. And God, we want to close this time with hallelujah. Praise the Lord, because you are worthy of all of it. So God, as we respond in worship, I pray that that would be the cry of our heart, hallelujah. And we would understand what that means, that it's a response to this God who's done great things. Lord Augustine said that praising God will not cease when we die. Rather, the next life will be characterized by our seeing, loving, and praising God forever and ever. And so Lord, we want to start that now, selfishly. We want to see you face to face, and we want to respond to you. We'd ask that you would draw us in. Help us respond now. We love you and praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.